The Institute of Directors professional development programmes equip learners with the knowledge, skills and mindset to be enterprising and innovative, enabling organisations to become more productive and competitive. The IOD's programmes ensure directors develop an awareness of their interpersonal skills, legal and business knowledge, financial acumen, ethical questioning, decision-making abilities and the highest standards of professional conduct. The IOD is the only institute in the world to offer internationally recognised qualifications designed by directors for directors under Royal Charter. For more information on IOD training, visit iod.com today. Welcome to the Institute of Directors Business Podcast, a podcast where we interview directors from all over Scotland about their careers and business. I am your host, Marlene Lowe, UK Director for Four Bytes and long-term IOD member. This week's career journey is shared by John Anderson, a man of many skills and a large portfolio rooted in entrepreneurship and leadership. This has been the foundation of his why. In helping founders and next-generation owners maintain their roles as visionary leaders focused on execution and the delivery of operational excellence. So I've got a very interesting journey to the point um, we're at today um, in my late 50s. So I grew up in Glasgow. Um, my father was a partner in a large accounting firm. I was privately educated, good at maths and English at school. And just amazingly, the career's advice was, how about accountancy job? And I, and I didn't even think about it. Um, I just wanted to be like my dad. Uh, I joined Ernst & Whinney, now Ernst & Young, in the early 80s and uh, picked the firm because the only bits of careers advice I, I guess I probably had were you've got to work in London mm -hmm. because often, uh, well, that's the seat of, of finance and, and uh, commercial power, if you like. But um, there was a sense that, you know, if you had you know, gone to London from Glasgow for the day, you know, the, you, know you were from the sticks. Yeah. Um, so my father was very keen on that, but also he said, look, you know, the uh, most, uh, and ironically, given what happened with Enron and WorldCom, was the highest professional standards are in the US. So if you can get out to the States, that's what you need to do. So that was pretty clear what I, what I needed to do. You know, did my training in Glasgow, as soon as I could, get to London, make your mark, get on this program to the States, and off you go. And uh, that's what I did. I duly delivered on that. Um, I ended up in Chicago, in uh, going out there in 1987. And as a city, it's it's just a bigger version of my my own home city, which is Glasgow. It's just I you know some tremendous parallels. So clearly the right place. Mm -hmm. But the work that I got to do was just atrocious. Really, it, it was. Um, I was putting financial services audit because that's what I had been doing in London, but only a part-time. So I, I was doing NatWest audit and I was in a banking group, but really I was a commercial animal and nothing to do with finance. But, and I thought, well, it's only a year, that's okay. It's, uh, you know, it's good for my career, I'll be fine. 
it's another box ticked on the way to partner. Um, <laughs> but I really, really hated it. I mean, and it was becoming quite disheartening. Um, uh, there's a whole series of reasons. I mean, mainly a timing thing was quite interesting. They hadn't quite got that right. Given they've been running this program for about 30 years, I've not yeah. idea why it was so badly done. But my life has been a series of serendipitous moments. <laughs> and two things happened uh, in Chicago, which got me into entrepreneurship. And that's really what I've been doing for a very long time now, helping companies grow. And one was simply that I rented a, an apartment and um, was only there for a year. So I was like, oh, I've got to buy furniture and then sell it or give it away at the end. And the, um, the woman that, that rented me the apartment said, no, 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 you, we, you know, in America, we rent furniture. Yeah. So I got, you know, this business card for, for a, a furniture rental business in, in the financial district in Chicago. I should have realized it was a really expensive place. <laughs> given where it was but anyway so i rented the furniture and got a call after a couple of weeks saying hi john how's it going is everything okay i was yeah i was delighted with it um and the, the again a saleswoman said listen wonder if you might do a favor the channel 7 news abc are making a feature on the owner of this business this chicago entrepreneur mm -hmm. and they'd like to talk to a customer you know and I said, well, I've not done any television work. Yeah, go for it. And I went down and did this tiny, short, short piece to camera, went, which went on the news. And um, the owner came up and he just said, well, just, I want to say thank you for coming and helping out. Uh, where did you say you were from again? I said, well, I've transferred from London, but I'm actually from Scotland. Yeah. Oh, we were in Scotland last year, tracing our ancestors. <laughs> and I said, well, with a name like Crawford, I'm assuming that's probably Southwest Scott. And yeah. he said, How did you know that? I said, My middle name is Crawford. <laughs> so we instantly connected in this bizarre way. Anyway, thank me for my time. Anyway, he said, Oh, um, which accounting firm did you say? I said, Well, Ernst and Winnie. He said, Oh, you're my accountant. So uh, didn't think any more of it, went back to work, got summoned to a senior partner's office. And I was, I'd been there about four weeks. I was like, oh my God, what have I done? <laughs> and this wonderful guy, he was a senior partner of a part of the business. He said, John, I just want to say thank you. I have no idea what you did, but I've got this letter from my client thanking me for releasing you for a morning. I've got no idea what he's talking about. <laughs> but, you know, that's how we work. You know, we work closely with our entrepreneurs. They're all, we're almost part of their team. Yeah. And I, at that point, went, I, you know, I, I'm in another place where, you know, you, you're in an area you don't understand, your clients don't like you because you're a pain in the ass. And yet, here's a part of being an accountant where you are welcomed as part of a team. Mm. So the other part of the coincidence, the second coincidence was the guy I became very good friends with turned out to be an audit manager like me. Mm -hmm. And he was in this entrepreneurial services team. And every Thursday night, we'd go for a few beers. And before we got to the fun stuff, we talked about how your week has been. And I was always on a complete downer. Oh, 
no. And yet Billy was always, oh, we've just done this. We've bought a company. We've helped someone save tax. And I said, oh, can I not come and work with you? Yeah. He then went back to this partner and said, look, this guy, John Anderson, I think he met, um, could he come and work with us? Because he, he's really cool. And they said, well, with respect, John, you're going back to London. Uh, so this is about long-term relationships. Mm-hmm. And that's not going to work because you're leaving. However, if you're prepared to take some unpaid leave, then we'll put you on our training programs. Yeah. So in May of 1988, I got sent to our education centre and had my first uh, entrepreneurship education from Babson College. Yeah. And, you know, who's, you know, 40 years on are, are still the world's number one uh, uh, entrepreneurship faculty. Uh, and it literally changed my life. And it gave me a clear purpose and a, actually a clear way back to Scotland because I could see that you could do something with the economy by helping companies grow and not just be a, 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 you know, my career probably would have been based in London, living in Surrey, doing doing very well financially, mm-hmm. but um, not really adding anything. So it was my it was my my ticket home. Interesting yeah. in hindsight. Wow. So that sounds like you've kept that entrepreneurial spirit ever since. It really bit you. <laughs> You can say it like that. It, it it really did, and I think that's the thing. I mean, I've I've um, you know I've made tons of mistakes along the way. Um, when I first came back from the states back into London, they had moved a bit. There was a there was a new department being formed around these principles of working with high growth companies mm-hmm. and being part of their journey. And I joined the team there. Got seconded to London Enterprise Agency. And actually, we were running a small property company helping startups. Mm-hmm. You call them accelerators now or you know, serviced offices, but we were taking old City of London Corporation redundant buildings and turning them into workspace for people. Uh, that, I then got the opportunity to come back to Glasgow as a um, partly succession planning uh, for a potential uh, retiring partner. Um, um, but there was an immediate need as a manager, senior manager, going off to be finance director of a client. Again, sort of this kind of complete, yeah, you were absolutely part of that business. Mm. Um, so came back um, and started running an award scheme in the Herald in the early 90s, starting to find really exciting growth companies in Scotland. Yeah. Not the traditional business that, you know, if you pulled a list of, small, medium-sized enterprises of company house records, for example, it would be the same list that was there 10 years before, 10 years before, 10 years before. Um, I persuaded um, EY that doing an MBA was, was something that would be good as a future leader. Um, yeah. And they uh, were fabulously supportive, put me through an MBA at Strathclyde Business School. Um, and again, a bit of luck had a couple of potential project offerings for my dissertation, chose one on entrepreneurial role models. It was just after the um, Scotland's birth rate strategy had been published uh, by Scottish Enterprise. And I discovered quite quickly that there was no 
I'll call it a directory of new growth companies. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I was looking at successful companies started between 84 and 94, and about 130 of them, and wanted to see whether they match the same characteristics of the model that I'd seen at Babson. Yeah. And my late mentor, Jeff Timmons, had, had developed this methodology and a book called New Venture Creation. And it was really to see whether this was applicable in Scotland. Mm-hmm. And it was, it was identical. We had, had some fantastic feedback from people. Um, I called the, the, the project and latterly a publication, uh, Local Heroes, Scotland's Entrepreneurial Role Models. And um, that was partly because uh, Rosabeth Moss Cantor had come over t- uh, from Boston to do a, a piece for uh, it would have been Glasgow Development Agency at the time, saying the problem you've got in Scotland is that you don't you don't respect wealth creators, you don't um, respect people who are growing companies, um, and that was very true. There, there seemed to almost be a mentality of of um, you're only doing this to you know to make yourself rich and and yeah. exploit people, which is complete nonsense. Um, and I can understand this. I understand the historical context for that. Uh, but she said her words were, "You need to make these people heroic." Mm-hmm. So that's where I got the name, got the idea, and I got some tremendous support from Scottish Enterprise to um, to get it off the ground. And they said, "Well, oh, please send us your report when it's finished." So I sent it in uh, to the head of company growth. And he said, oh, oh, right, well, I think we could do with your help here. And it was a piece of work that uh, the reason we eventually essentially published the report with Scottish Enterprise um, to identify, first in 1995, here's 130 or 140 companies. I interviewed 20 of them, wrote up many cases. So it was a publication that was showing people you'd never heard of, all yeah. doing really interesting things. And there were some, some absolutely phenomenal businesses in there. They've got on to do great things. Then it was a case of, well, actually, now we've got that. What else can we do? So that was published in 95, 97, and also 1999, by which point we had about 600 on the list. And it was a sort of directory. And there was a, there was a, it was part of the birth rate strategy, which was, in a lot of senses, just raising awareness that in the business base in Scotland, you have ambitious companies and they're doing it for the right reasons. Nowadays, you would talk about, you know, these are all businesses with purpose. Yeah. It wasn't just about profit. It wasn't a profit, purely a profit motive. You have to run a great business to do really great things. I think now we're much better at articulating that. And an awful lot of work around uh, purpose-driven businesses. But it's what was interesting, the only difference between the successful Scottish entrepreneur that I'd found and the Jeff Timmons models from Babson was an absence of personal role models. Right. Okay. So in the US, in one study, I found that over two thirds of successful founders grew up in a family business environment. Mm. They lived next door to someone who had a business. Their friends, parents had businesses. 
and it was the inverse in Scotland, less than a third, yeah. less than one third of these successful Scottish entrepreneurs had personal role models. And a supplementary question was, what advice did you get as you grew your business? And um, what advice would you like to have had as you grew your business? And it, the main finding was that it would have been great to talk to another entrepreneur, someone yeah. like And this power of peer learning, that was the trigger point. And that's what I've been doing since well, 94, 95 is putting groups of people who are facing roughly the same issues together. Mm -hmm. uh, another bit of serendipity was that in the first edition of a new magazine called Scot um, Scottish Entrepreneur uh, in 94, uh, it was a pilot in 94, um, the uh, publisher wanted, he, I, knew, I knew him, I worked with him, and he said, oh, could we feature uh, one of your findings on the front cover just to get attention? Yeah. And it was about sources of advice and how the, the general sources of advice were terrible. Something needed to be done about it. And actually, it was about entrepreneurs working with each other. Okay. So it was designed to be slightly provocative. Um, and uh, there it was, front page, and it was it featured one or two quite juicy quotes from my uh, from my uh, report, <laughs> um, uh, which were fit for publication. Others weren't. <laughs> and uh, on the same page, uh, there was a little preview piece. You know, turn to page five, four, and it was Lanarkshire Development Agency launches organisation for entrepreneurs by entrepreneurs. Yeah. The entrepreneurial exchange is aimed at blah blah, and it was all about bringing entrepreneurs together. Yeah. And I was like, wow, what did I do about that? No idea. <laughs> and my very first networking event in Glasgow, I saw on the list of attendees, the project manager at Lanarkshire Development Agency, Ewan McCauley, fabulous guy, and uh, went, oh, I wonder who he is looking around the room, and mm -hmm. then didn't know, him, didn't know anybody. And as I went for a cup of coffee, past this person through a narrow doorway, we sort of oddly passed chest to chest. Yeah. And I saw his name badge, Ewan McCauley. <laughs> I said, oh, you're that entrepreneurial exchange guy. And he looked at my badge and he said, oh, you're that local heroes guy. <laughs> we need to get together. I mean, this is deadly serious. This is, this is serendipity in action. <laughs> and we sat down. We went to see, I went to see him in, in, uh, out in uh, Lanarkshire. And he said, right, well, here's our business plan. This is what we're going to do. Yeah. I said, great. Well, where are you going to find the people? He says, I don't know. And I said, okay, well, I've got 140 of them in my list. Really? So that's how I got involved. And the best <laughs> bit was, I said, so how do I get involved? And they said, you can't. Well, why not? Because you're an accountant. <laughs> okay. Um, this is only for entrepreneurs. We, we want people who are just like each other. You are not one of those. And I said, absolutely. You're, you're absolutely right. Um, I said, but, you know, are you setting this up as a business? Yes. It's a company limited by guarantee, so a non-profit. Great. Who's going to do your accounts for you? I not thought about that. Tell you what, you. I'll do them for you. And I'm sure you've got payroll and VAT to worry about. I'll do that for you. 
oh, that'd be very kind, John. Right. So <laughs> I, I go to board meetings or steering group meetings back in the day and present these numbers. And um, they, they, they genuinely, the chair at the time was, in hindsight, um, he, he, well, anyway, he, he, um, he, he wouldn't let me do anything. He wouldn't yeah. let me take part in the conversation. And one day I said, look, I'm, I'm struggling to understand how this actually works without seeing it in action. So if you're running an event and you're charging people for it, it'd be useful to me to understand the number just so I can do a sense check. Yeah. I'm an auditor, remember, so I can do this stuff for a living. So I went to my first event in May of 1995. This is like history lesson. <laughs> uh, but it was astonishingly brilliant. I'd never been at anything as brilliant as this. Mm. And it was all about getting their, you know, and they did, they, they did it beautifully. So they had the founders of the exchange, sort of almost like the great and the good, mm-hmm. um, placed at each table. And you just went in, you just, it was a bit, you know, no one really knew what to, how to network. You went to these things, you sat at a table, and then a, a keynote speaker and a facilitated discussion. And the stuff that came out around, well, this is what I'm facing at the moment. And then another person at the table said, yeah, I had exactly that problem. Here's yeah. what I did. Oh, yeah, that's great. And the energy in the room, I had never, I'd been done lots of networking, you know, events around the place. This was so different. And I went, oh. This is quite special. And then I was, um, once they realized that actually I had quite a lot of knowledge about businesses, business, um, what was happening in Scotland, you know, the, the role of Scottish enterprise and, and, and the like, um, I was actually asked to be a director, which was a great honor. Yeah. Joined the board. Um, and uh, at one stage, we, you know, we were doing some amazing things, but it wasn't quite right. and. At this point, I was a partner in Grant Thornton, so I'd done what I set out to do originally. Um, I had outside business interests, uh, which was an unusual at the time. And there was a, we just felt, I just felt that my numbers that I presented to the board were, said one thing, but we were being, I think the board understood, I'll just try to make it, I think they thought something different. Okay. So my chairman was Tom Hunter, and I said to him, "Look, I think we need to have a good look at this because I don't, I'm not comfortable with what's happening. Mm-hmm. I think we're missing opportunities, and I think we've got some people who are members who aren't committed to growth. Yeah. They are simply looking at this as a way of meeting people for business purposes. Okay, and that's fine, but that's not what our, you know, we've got a very, very clear purpose, which is peer learning amongst." entrepreneurs mm-hmm. and we're pretty good at it but it's not really working and we went away and we we hatched a plan to go do you know what i think you're right i think we need to put more resource into it and do it properly and we took the board away and got them to buy into the vision where we could take it and i had said to tom at the time i'm just worried about how how we make this and we have a fabulous team in Hamilton, but they had no interest or no experience in taking it to the next level. And I said to him, look, how about this? Why don't I come and do this? I'll, I'll be the, like, I'll lead it. 
Yeah. Uh, the team do fantastic execution, but I, you know, I, you know, I can do the rest. Um, and I, 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 he said, "Well, what are you going to do?" I said, "Well, I'll just I'll retire from the profession." You know, age forty. <laughs> Time I thought I've done my bit. Twenty more years. Of so, so that started me out on this portfolio life, which I've done ever since. Yeah. You know, nearly twenty years now. So, having a, a having a sort of I, I'll pick the day. I pick the number three. So three days a week doing exec stuff, mm -hmm. uh, driving things forward, and then doing board work, volunteering, doing other bits and pieces, teaching and stuff like that. Um, uh, the rest of the time, and I, and he said, look, you know, and, and you, you know, this is a journey. We're gonna. It's not gonna be done in a year. You know, I need you to commit. Yeah, I need you to commit to five years. I'm like. Five years, it's a lifetime. You know, <laughs> let's review it after three. This was three days a week. You know, it couldn't afford me full time. It really wasn't a full time role. And I did that for 12. 12 years. 12 years. And it was wow. awesome. We did amazing stuff. We went through the big crash. We grew the book. You know, we had some astonishing uh, success along the way. I'd, I had already created the Entrepreneur of the Year Awards. Mm -hmm. around for 20 years um, big conference you know a real elegant model of membership and worked very closely interestingly alongside IOD or with David Watt at the time um, less engagement with other other um, membership organizations but we tended to work together on enterprise education in particular that was the big that was a big push with term to succeed so mm -hmm. We were all designated as employer organisations and helped uh, government shape uh, policy around um, initially in primary and then into secondary schools. Brilliant, brilliant stuff. And then alongside this, you know, I've been involved in multiple businesses uh, as non-exec and chair latterly, um, uh, different growth companies, family businesses, you name it, and just refining and refining and refining this this piece that, that I'm currently on and, and the, you know, the shortlisting um, in the um, non-exec director of the year category and, mm -hmm. and the 2020 awards has been just a tremendous honour. Um, just going, I know that it is not common to have a really high functioning board in, a, in an SME or a growing company. Yeah. Often it's because an investor, if they come in, you know, stick an investor director on the board, who's immediately conflicted that they're not they're not capable actually of following companies out guidance because they they, they they have an inherent conflict from day one mm -hmm. um, but you can manage that process and i think that's what a good chair does in particular yeah so um i took i ran i took the exchange probably as far as i felt we could do um and then saw this opportunity at the business school at mm -hmm. strathclyde and that's yeah. interesting, but that's probably the that'll be the kind of last hurrah, perhaps. But the what what I saw was amazing, amazing things that the Hunter Centre for Entrepreneurship, which benefited from Tom Hunter's gift. I mean, twenty years ago, twenty, you know, 20 years ago, he gave us this gift that gave us the resource to become, you know, currently the UK's number largest uh, centre for entrepreneurship. Uh, 33 mm -hmm. staff, 52 PhDs. No one in Europe, probably, actually, arguably Europe's largest. Yeah. Tell us. But we saw great research telling, turning into great teaching. But I, it was never getting to business. It was only ever 
for these brilliant undergrads we have and you know a master's programs or an MBA program but actually um, it was never getting to the businesses that I was working with through you know either personally or through a membership of the entrepreneurial exchange and um, I had another serendipitous moment funnily enough <laughs> where I was being asked to um, help us with the recruitment of the new head of the Hunter Centre for Entrepreneurship. Yeah. Uh, Eleanor Shaw. Um, and I, well, we knew who it was. And I was like, well, well, we know who it is. No, no, there's a process. We need to go through process. Yeah. <laughs> and I said, you know, it would be useful to see the job description for this very senior position. And I looked at it and I started to laugh because I could see why Eleanor's predecessor, Sarah Carter, who's another phenomenon, um, didn't, I could never, I, I used to, I couldn't, I couldn't get her to come out to play. Yeah. I could not get her and got engaged in businesses. Um, but the job description is so internally focused about making sure research excellence and measures were high. And I said to Jonathan Levy, um, who's now retired, he, he was the guy that took Tom Hunter and Jim McCall and me to Babson and MIT 20 years ago and said, this is what we can do in Scotland. Yeah. And we sat with the guy who taught me all those years ago in our education centre, who was the equivalent of a head of department. Uh -huh. Research excellence, teaching excellence, Bill Bygrave. But we sat in the office of this outward-facing guy this cashed out entrepreneur who'd come into academia mm -hmm. to be the bridge, to be the networker, the public face, to get entrepreneurs in the classroom when we needed them, to help businesses get venture capitalists in. And this guy's called Steve Spinelli. And I said to Jonathan, we tried to have a Steve Spinelli type here a few mm -hmm. years ago. Why? Why didn't it work? And he explained it. It was just a bit of personality, a bit of, it's a circumstance perhaps. And I said, so here's what's going to happen, Jonathan. I'm going to come and do that role. <laughs> uh, because Eleanor, looking at this, I know Eleanor. She's, she, she absolutely has this external facing potential, hasn't got that experience yet. So how about I come in and we work together? And I'll take my three days running the entrepreneurial exchange and come in and be this three-day-a-week external-facing uh, dude in uh, the Hunter Centre. Yeah. And I'll still do my teaching. I was a visiting prof at the time, so I'll do, still do some teaching and stuff. But, you know, this is, wow, that's amazing. We had both taken part in the 2014 uh, MIT REAP Scotland project, Regional mm -hmm. Entrepreneurship Accelerator Programme. So Scotland was one of the pilot countries uh, in this piece of work that MIT was doing. Mm -hmm. And it, it threw out a number of actions, which interestingly, many have just been picked up in the recent Logan report about what we could do with tech uh, yeah. companies in Scotland. But um, one of the challenges was uh, leadership development, and particularly with innovation-driven enterprise and tech, where's the commercial experience coming in how do we develop really great scalable businesses mm -hmm. and um jonathan uh, levy is one of the one of the 
one of the um, actions was for business schools in Scotland, all business schools, to get involved and design programs to help. The Strathclyde had an advantage by a, a, by a country mile because Jonathan was part of that team. I was sharing the skills for growth section, uh, work stream, and you know we we crafted something that was easy to implement. Let's say, mm-hmm. and so my growth advantage program, which is the the only scale up institute endorsed a uh, program in Scotland, um, is uh, was a result of that. Yeah, and it, it, again a bit of serendipity, the sense that some now now's the time. So you could take all of the brilliant peer learning that the exchange had been doing and put a bit of structure around it. And that was the key. The missing bit was that you know, getting that peer learning experience was, was simply a matter of were you able to get place at the table at that event? Mm-hmm. And actually there was a combination of sometimes not being able to get to something or sometimes getting to something that actually isn't quite relevant for you at the time. Mm-hmm. And I spent, I had spent a lot of time managing expectations of people and saying, look, I know that, you know, this particular member is struggling with this issue at the moment and they're on a waiting list. Mm-hmm. Could you do me a great favor and drop out so that I can give them that place? Yeah. That's about relationship management. And all the time it was, yeah, of course, John, yeah, I didn't know that. And we were struggling with this idea of going, how do you put some structure around it? So then comes the opportunity uh, to take what became uh, the Growth Advantage Programme. And, you know, we're now in cohort five, that's 83 participants, 83 companies in five years. And it has delivered on more than I could ever have imagined. Hence this, you know, the complete accolade of a full scale up uh, Institute endorsement. So that makes Strathclyde Business School and Cranfield the only universities that have designed their own programs. And to be fair, Cranfield's been doing this for 30 years. It's brilliant. (laughs) So one might say that's a that's my own role model that I'm you know I want to emulate what they're doing. And on the back of that, you know, these companies are supporting each other. Interestingly, particularly during COVID, Mm -hmm. um, oddly the suddenly everyone having to do things online you know zoom has become an extremely effective tool um for keeping people together yeah so i've been doing these virtual pub chats there's like a drop-in there's no 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 one i read my own experience with peer with peers of entrepreneur peer groups is that they want to be be with each other mm-hmm. physically yeah once you've got that that level of trust and that's what we build that's the secret sauce is very quickly building this cohort trust Mm. and they'll effectively hold each other to account you said you were going to do that you've still not you know you said that that person was no longer working out what have you done about it you know yeah and it's and it's literally owner to owner all of the issues that who do you talk to about that and yes, you can talk to your board if you've got the right board. You certainly can't talk to your management team. You can't talk to your spouse. Mm. Who do you speak to about it? And that is where this this wonderful power. I mean, twenty five years I've been doing it, so it's, you know I know how to make it work. Yeah. And that now extends to the other programs around leadership teams of productivity through people, and other programs. It's. Uh, I mean, I just feel deeply privileged to have been able to to kind of 
you know, I came back to Scotland to to hopefully make a, a small difference. Um, and I think I've maybe maybe we'll do some of that. Sounds like you have. I want to take you back to a comment you made um, a wee while ago about not being an entrepreneur. Now, everyone has their own assumptions of what an entrepreneur is, I think. So what is your definition of what an entrepreneur is? So great, that's a really great question. You know, the classic stuff is, you know, the uneducated, you know, saw an opportunity, you know, all this stellar, you know, beautiful rise to success. There's nothing like that at all. I am very entrepreneurial. So I was, I was not a, you know, I've, I've got a, so Jeff Timmons used to do this kind of guide of, in fact, that was what a lot of local heroes was about, you know, what are the characteristics and behaviours, tolerance of ambiguity, not needing an answer, people, blah, 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 all that kind of stuff. And I, I was, one of the things was a tolerance of risk, mm -hmm. not, not risk taking, everything, everything about entrepreneurship is calculated risk taking. So you understand that it comes from experience. So as, a, as someone who's very comfortable with risk, I was not a very good audit partner, if I'm completely honest. I was really more interested in where the opportunity for growth was. Yeah. <laughs> so I was, I, was, I was probably a bit of a pain in the ass uh, to my fellow partners because, you know, the skill set and requirement of an of a, a audit partner was not one that perhaps I, I matched terribly well. So... This is why we talk about entrepreneurship being, on the one hand, it's about growth. Mm -hmm. So, and this is the difference between entrepreneurship and the entrepreneur. It's a mindset, yeah. right? So entrepreneurial mindset is growing. And I, and I came up with this phrase oh, 20 years ago. Building a business of substance and scale. Mm -hmm. So it was not about get rich quick it wasn't about I me mean, back in the day it was oh, dot com boom and we're all gonna be millionaires next like a kind of scene out of only fools and horses um but it was it was about the discipline of that's the language we use my tagline for the growth advantage program is the discipline of growth and there's plenty of evidence to suggest that's the right way of doing it um and you then factor in ownership type Mm -hmm. So this isn't starting a business per se. Many do. Some buy businesses. They see the opportunity to do a management buyout or, you know, as a business in difficulty, you know, as a, they become a part of a buy-in team. Uh, but the biggest, probably the biggest, biggest opportunity in Scotland, I still believe, is in multi-generation family businesses. Mm -hmm. So entrepreneurship, you know, and this is the challenge you had, you stick the badge entrepreneurial and it, you know, for a, for a long part of the 90s, I would think, uh, maybe early 2000s as well, it was almost like being a rock star, you know, oh, I'm an entrepreneur, you know, rock star. Yeah. You have Dragon's Den, which I believe really helps, it's just entertainment. But you had a persona of success for Branson all the way down. And to a certain extent, I think some of my local heroes might fall into that. But actually, this mindset of growth, mm -hmm. a growth mindset is well researched um, rather than fixed, uh, all the stuff, all the, all the psychology research that comes out from that. Entrepreneurial mindset is just about growing businesses and growing people and everything that goes with it. So there's a difference between that mindset and being the entrepreneur who will start something, who will be the initiator. I am not that person. Okay. Probably could do it now. 
certainly couldn't in my early career. You know, I was always the number two. I was always happy to do so. Um, when we started working in schools with the enterprise education agenda and universities teaching entrepreneurship, we used to get pelters from parents saying, how dare you? You know, I, you know, and inevitably it was parents at private schools who'd invested enormous amounts of money in their offspring becoming lawyers and accountants. Mm-hmm. And I was saying, look, here's an alternative view of life. Here's an alternative career path because stuff, stuff is going to change. Yeah. Um, deliberately, the government at the time, uh, which we supported, was we don't use the word entrepreneur, we'll call it enterprise. Okay. It's all about enterprising behaviours. I don't think that's the right word either. You know, if we're in a, if we're in the states or Canada or whatever, you wouldn't be care. We'd just be an entrepreneur. But anyway, we're not. So there's something about these behaviours and understanding things, not necessarily needing to start a business, mm-hmm. and that therefore means you can reach a much broader population. We want to produce young people from school through college through university who are not just looking for a job somewhere they will have a purpose yeah. they want to join a business that's exciting to be part of um and the we've been working on it i mean it's it's since tom hunter backed us 20 years ago this concept of entrepreneurship for all it should touch everybody we should certainly say no to people who think they can do something and are not properly equipped to do it i think that's where we've got it wrong in the past this rush to celebrate it lots and lots of programs for people to start businesses mm. and they're great but it's sustaining and growing a business so that's the really hard bit so a little bit of a but rebalance i think on what this means but you know we have established in scotland without a doubt that business and uh, wealth creation and prosperity creation is absolutely vital it's it's a, it's a thing to be admired instead of vilified um, and that's well, that's taken quite a long time to do so we need to keep that momentum yeah it, it's almost like you're um and forgive me if, if i'm phrasing this wrong but changing business dynamics in scotland so it's not just um like you mentioned the entrepreneur entrepreneurial mind of the leaders but actually employees as well and everyone being a lot more conscious of their decisions in terms of what businesses they actually work for and the input that they're putting into those businesses too. Oh, I couldn't agree more. I could not agree more. And what's interesting is my, my children are, our children are 27, 25, 20. And they have got many, many more choices than like, yeah. they, mm. they, a daughter in particular is very purpose-led, very careful, very thoughtful. Hmm. which is challenging i mean covid's making life very difficult for everybody but there are businesses there that and it is much more than you know someone confidently saying well of course people are our greatest asset well everyone said that for you behave like that have systems so interesting the other program that sits alongside the growth advantage program and this is we deliver this and we deliver this in scotland for uh, under a UK program it's called productivity through people mm-hmm. it carefully chosen words uh, it was started by uh, actually George Osborne that's how far back it goes to <laughs> a challenge to the business community in the UK to do something about the productivity gap 
all the metrics said that various nations were more productive. Uh, lots of arguments about how you measure that, but nonetheless, there's a principle we need to do more with what we've got. And um, the research, the initial research was, it's not about buying a robot or, or you know, investing in AI. This is about using the resource that you have, mm -hmm. i.e. your people, and freeing them up and helping them develop to do work. Yeah. Hence the name productivity through people. So the outcomes that we deliver on this are, you know, understanding your role. And in Scotland, we deliberately make it at the leadership team level or future leader team, not the owner, not the chief exec, not the managing director. We've got a gap for that. And um, you know, there's there's understanding how people are, you know, so understanding how what motivates people. So you as a junior manager or, or chief operator, whatever it might be, you're in that position and you've probably not had a lot of development unless you've come out of corporate and you've had tons and tons of, of, of uh, executive education and development. So what are the simple things that you need to do? You know, the business needs to be aligned. You need to be able to push innovation all the way down through their organization. You don't yeah. want layers of bureaucracy. You've got a department over here that's doing innovation. Everyone's responsible. Everyone's responsible for understanding what your value proposition is and why the customer comes to you rather than someone else, what the business model like. Um, and that's really exciting to be part of because I've really only worked with leaders for the last 25 years or so. Being able to work with future leaders and management teams in a practical way, you know, mm. back in my day, well, that's of course what the MBA was designed to do. Yeah, exactly. You know, and we all rushed off and did it. And, and it, you know, the, 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 the Strathclyde MBA is in the middle of a big refresh and flipping it around. It's really interesting what's happening because that type of leadership development is, is you know, that was, that was for them. We're in a different place. Yeah. And Strathclyde's got an interesting, um, you know, the origins are really important. I think we've rediscovered our values. And our pur we've actually rediscovered our purpose. So when the other, I call him the other John Anderson because um, we get confused uh, <laughs> me and, and the one that died in 90, uh, 1796 and in his will left money and bequeathed money for the creation of a new university, a, um, a place of useful learning, which is mm -hmm. a phrase which we've finally readopted. Um, and it was all for the benefit, you know, taking knowledge and applying it for the benefit of society. And I think that resonates really well with where we are in 2020 and a new generation of young people who understand, you know, they want, they, we're here, what's your purpose? Why, we, why, why do we want to be part of your organization? And um, so we, a lot of what we're doing is, is making sure that programs are designed to meet the UN Sustainable Development Goals. Mm -hmm. uh, Strathclyde is uh, it's not a prime, but it's, it's essentially a business school that commits to uh, developing material that supports all the 17 SDGs. Um, the work we do with Glasgow City Council is really interesting. You know, the new business growth uh, um, program that's been developed to help businesses uh, grow in the city of Glasgow and its Glasgow City region. Um, the companies only qualify for that support 
if they commit to inclusive growth. Yeah. It's just fantastic. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it's still a bit vague about what that means, but there's a mindset shift here. Yeah. Which, um, you, know, we, you know, I think we're, I mean, that's why I'm still yeah, making a nuisance of myself in there because I just, it just it resonates completely with the original, with the other John Anderson's view of the world. <laughs> As they, you know, we, we're, it's how you spin things, of course, but, you know, you, you know, we, we talk about Strathclyde being, you know, the only university founded during the Enlightenment, Scottish Enlightenment, which is true. It's factually true. It was put down in John Anderson's work. <laughs> Um, uh, it took multiple uh, iterations of an institution to become a university, of course. But, but it, it, I, I think with certainly with, with Sir Jim McDonald in charge, you know, he do, he makes sure we don't forget where mm. you know where we came from. Yeah. Um, I, and I think that's a it's a fabulous place to be. So I want to take you back. There's a, a question that's kind of been playing on my mind as we've been talking. Um, if we go back to the entrepreneur, entrepreneurial spirit that you were talking about. In Scotland, and you've alluded to this, but I want to ask it more directly. Do you think there's a balance between the spirit of entrepreneurship of people wanting to be entrepreneurs versus their actual ability to be entrepreneurs? I think it's interesting. You know, Go back, wind all the way back to you know the, the birth rate strategy for Scotland, which was published in, in 1993, October 19. You strip back and you go, the first thing you have to solve here or change is attitude towards entrepreneurship. You used to have this thing called the E index, and it was a measure of the number of times the word entrepreneur was used in the media generally. Okay. And uh, of course, when you when you're making some progress towards a, a stated aim, um, you draw a graph with scaling to represent this wonderful success story. But it genuinely did over time, and it was a long-term play. I think one of the challenges in the with the benefit of hindsight was that thinking that you could change Scotland within seven years was slightly ambitious. Yeah, because the full generational shift. Which is why we started to argue that well, you have got a. I've got. We used to talk of things like the lost generation. The media would pick it up as being, well, it's our young people. Mm -hmm. I said, no, I don't think it is our young people. I think it is the parents of our young people. Yeah. Who don't understand what entrepreneurship is. Yeah. You know those parents that I used to argue with, or used to, to, to argue with me about, how dare I. I suggest that they shouldn't go and be a lawyer and an accountant and start yeah. their own business, which just wasn't what we were suggesting at all. But the um, the who you turn to for advice on something is really important. Mm. If you turn to advice for anyone. And then that's where I realized the lost generation was, was this generation of parents. So we had to start to take them on a journey, work very closely with the media. Mm -hmm. And that typically in Scotland was, you know, forget the Herald and the Scotsman and the P and J and the Courier. Mm -hmm. We need to work with the Sun and the and the Daily Record. We need to start changing the narrative to say this is a good thing. Yeah. Um, no one's really ever explained why it was that if you might, if you go wind back to to the um, the entrepreneurial success, the wealth creation of previous generations who built big cities. You know, of course, the current narrative was all because of the slave trade, um, but you know that was it. Clearly, can't forget yeah. that. But actually, it was because proper venture capital came, mm -hmm. 
people were willing to put money down to send a ship to somewhere and you know if it if it didn't sink it you know you, you should sort of that's where venture capital original venture capital came scotland had that in dundee you had it in edinburgh had it in glasgow had the cities and then we lost it mm -hmm. and uh, professor tom divine uh, the eminent historian talks about you know the loss of the leadership classes in scotland yeah. during the first world war in particular and then you have a series of things so the large corporate large you know large employers i mean huge you know, steel shipbuilding you name it they you know, they 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 stuttered and faltered after that. then the second world war came along then nationalization came along and we turned we turned into a, a, a place where you didn't have to think for yourself you mm -hmm. you didn't even have to bother at school i remember tom and i talking about this about his his um, classmates in Cumnock uh, Academy in Ayrshire, you know, he was the only one that bothered to work and get his hires and get a place at university. Hmm. Part of his dad said, "Look, no, no, you know, the the coal mines aren't going to be here forever. You need to have, you need to fall back on something." Um, and and it, that long term change is really difficult. I said earlier the fact that you know some people you know, oh I can do this. A, there was a when Duncan Bannatyne did his book anyone can do it that didn't help because there were so many programs that came out of birth rate strategy which was say hey you know we did we used to take the Scottish Exhibition Conference Centre and run the personal enterprise show and I don't know how many thousand people came to it was an exhibition people would come through the door they do a little profiling complete a profiling tool on this computer it would map out a journey for them, right? Go to the green zone to explore where you get an idea to start a business. Mm. So there was some, some huge success in getting general population Scotland through the doors, getting them thinking about something. Yeah. But the overwhelming majority of them had no experience and, and were almost saying, right, you know, take this on, start this. And I, you know, there was, was a direct parallel with what I saw in London, in, in the London Enterprise Agency, where you had, we used to call them the redundant print market. It was when Fleet Street was closing down, all the printing uh, stuff was going off to Wapping, and it was massive, massive uh, redundancies. And we would see people coming in wanting to start a business and blow their £25,000 redundancy payment yeah. on some failing venture. I think we've got much smarter at that. The the entire system has got, you know, an assessment process of look, yep, you're onto something. You know, the simple tools like the you know, we teach things like value proposition, you know, think from the customer's perspective, just because you think this is a great idea, how do you know? And, and all that. And I think the system is really good at that from business gateway through colleges, programs and, and lots of good stuff. Yeah. And I think where we're missing still is this uh, mindset of serious growth. Yeah. And to use the S word, scaling. Yeah. Um, scaling is a different beast altogether. Um, Logan Report talks specifically about tech scaling. We need to do more tech scaling. Again, we've been doing this for over 20 years in lots of different ways. Um, don't throw the baby out with the bathwater because there's some really good stuff going on. But yes, we need to do it. 
And funnily enough, he, he uh, Mark has in the report put access to commercial experienced mm-hmm. talent is that is still the key to this. Yeah. You know, and and how do we draw on that? How do we use Global Scott more effectively? How do we use membership organisations like IOG? You know, there's some astonishing talent in there. Are we really using it in, in the right way? Yeah. A real live example of that was. We had a fabulous tech spin out from the Hunter, well, it came through Hunter Centre program probably nearly 20 years ago. And there was a young French postdoc, he had an idea for a laser product. He was in the physics department and um, he said, right, I think we, there's, a, there's a commercial application for that. However, I know nothing about business. You know, I've been on your short program at the Hunter Centre and realised that I really, really know nothing. Yeah. And I'm not going to pretend that I know. Can you help me find people that can help? And of course, the, wonder, the wonderful thing about Strathclyde is that you've got predominantly an engineering, science-based institution with the top business school. Mm-hmm. And you go, wait a minute, wait a minute. The alumni base of Strathclyde Business School has got some astonishingly talented people in it. I wonder if... And we came up with this program, which was basically... Here's a new venture. Here's what we're needing from a from a commercial experience thing. And go out to the alumni base and say, hey, listen, anyone, you know, mid-career, are you bored? Are you moving home? <laughs> so it's almost like a smaller version of Global Scott. And I think this is again, we tend to forget we have mechanisms in place already. They're just not optimized. Yeah. So rather than come up with another new thing, why don't we just get better at doing this and saying, look. Here's how we did it. You know, University of Aberdeen, how about you do it? You know, what, 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 how can we work together as a, as a, as a community of Scotland to do this? Um, how could we work with, you know, IOD? How can IOD work on improving governance at every business at every level and work with business school? Stuff? There's, there's, there, there, I think they're quite, there, there, are, there are easy wins, I think, in this. Because we're already doing it. Yeah. Excellent. So the, the last question I've kind of got for you along this is, is you've got a real passion for family businesses. And again, you've alluded to the, the benefit of family businesses and continuing in that route. Um, can you tell me a bit more about why family business specifically? So I, I was thinking about, so family businesses in Scotland is I mean, an enormous community. Um, yeah. It depends how you you we we sponsor the Scottish Family Business Awards with the Herald, and um, we always have these uh, debates about how many generations uh, of ownership do you need to become a family business? You know, yeah. So so you have a business that's a husband and wife business. Mm-hmm. That is that a family business? Well, actually, yes. Now it might be done for tax planning purposes, but. So we start to say, well, how, when was the business formed? Uh, and then you start to find these astonishing success stories that go back. And this is the, why we use to multi-generation. That's the aim. The aim is to move through generations in a sensible way. Yeah. Um, the, I think we forget that. And, it's, and I think, I think it is, it's because it doesn't appear to be scaling tech thing that's going to change the world but family businesses are hugely important to 
their communities that they're based in. So one of the awards in the Hale Family Business Awards is a community. Mm -hmm. And it's not just about, you know, yes, well, we support the local football club or rugby club or hockey club or whatever it would be. It's, it's how embedded are you in that community for a workforce? Mm -hmm. And actually, the, the, um, and I, this is why I use the word, word prosperity. So prosperity in communities isn't just the wealth of the owner. Yeah, it's what is contributed, you know. So, so you've got a entire supply chain. If you have a successful large business, uh, the, I mean, the challenge has always been that how you refresh, perhaps refresh the, the management has, has all risk taking, just uh, over generations, you know, just dissipated from the organisation. Mm -hmm. You know that whole clogs to clogs in three generation. You've got you know a founder who takes every risk under the sun they stabilize the business they then start short you know, shoving off the kids to uh, private schools to send them to be lawyers accounted and there's that i have to say there are tons of examples of that and i think what we've been trying to do over the last five six years of things like um the Health family business awards family business united scotland with its listing of under top businesses family business in scotland is start to redress that balance and start to get government to understand that not only are these existing businesses with tens of thousands, if not well, more than that, employees collectively, but they are very robust. They are not, you know, going to tip over if they don't raise the next find, find the money or they find another disruptor that's just, you know, you think you're doing the sexiest thing in the world and then someone in Israel is doing it just better and faster. So there's this incredible resource of, uh, and to use the phrase, long-term patient capital. And that's the key. These companies are growing because they can afford to take a long view. The absence of external investment, and I've done both. I've been yeah, on, yeah. you know, I've been on AIM-listed boards. I've been on venture-backed, corporate-backed, family business boards. That your your horizon for planning is longer. Yeah. Family businesses. Now that shouldn't mean you sit back and rest on your laurels and go play golf all the time. You know, so so the I specifically chose to sponsor the Outstanding Contribution Award, mm. the Herald uh, Family Business Awards, because I thought this was the opportunity to to showcase multi, multi-generation, large family businesses who would never enter anything. You know, these are these are not people who are habitual award enterers. Plenty of those around. But these are are it's almost a long life, not quite lifetime contribution, but a long standing. So last year in December, um, I presented the award to James Donaldson and Sons in Fife in Glen Office. And it was a uh, uh, Neil and uh, who was fifth generation chairman and uh, Michael, Mike, who accepted. And Mike has just taken over from his father as now the sixth generation chair, working very closely with Andy, his brother. That is a 160-year-old company this year, 2020. Yeah. It employs 800 people UK-wide. It made two very elegant acquisitions in uh, the early part of the year, pre-COVID. And um it's a wonderful example of uh, a, a, 
ambitious, you know, growth business. It brought in a non-family member as a chief executive for a period of time to help its growth because, you know, it, you bring the best possible people in. Mm-hmm. And these examples are actually all over. I mean, you, you sit and do the judging every year for the awards, or not, sadly not this year. It, you know, it's almost a case of take a map of Scotland and you can plot out where they are. Mm-hmm. They're not in the cities. They're not in major urban areas. There are some, but they touch every part of Scotland. And that's why the government has to listen mm-hmm. and actually use its eyes and ears and realise that communities from the far north coast of KFS to Dumfries and Galloway to the borders, to the islands, you know, it's family businesses at the heart. Yeah, and um, uh, you know these are it's it's, it's to me it, it's so obvious. Maybe it's just because I'm getting on a bit, but um, the the there's a balance right across. You know, you need you need scalers, you need tech scalers, you need to take all the innovation that's coming out of uh, well-funded universities and do something with it. Yeah, but actually, let's not forget there's very substantial employers and prosperity creators all over Scotland um, who don't really have a voice interest in that's the other thing. Um, and again, I think, you know, the co- conversations I've been having with um, uh, Eben O'Carroll about IOD's role in life mm. is that's a great opportunity just to sort of gather some of the, you know, represent uh, in, a, in a professional way a, a group of businesses that perhaps don't get the attention they need. We hope you've enjoyed today's episode. The Institute of Directors is in the heart of all major cities and continues to represent your point of view as a business leader, both locally and nationally. Our objective is to ensure that your views are taken into account when the government is reviewing policy, legislation, or seeking the opinions of the wider business community. If you're interested in joining the IOD, please visit www.iod.com. Also take the opportunity to listen to our other IOD podcast, Policy Voice. To join the conversation and share your thoughts in today's episode, engage with us on Twitter or join the IOD LinkedIn Scotland group. We hope the rest of your week goes well and look forward to sharing another episode with you next week. Bye.